It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to the Talent Talk Radio Show. And joining me is I have uh, two great guests today lined up. I have the privilege of meeting some of these uh, great leaders all the time at these different events and uh, different programs and things that I'm involved in. And so what I've done here with this uh, show is hopefully brought them in so we can have a conversation and you can listen in on what we're going to talk about. Here's some of the great things that um, my guests are working on and their thoughts on talent management, leadership, uh, just kind of run the gamut there. So this show is really designed to give you that opportunity to hopefully learn something that you can use in your own career or, or down the road uh, as, as those situations uh, evolve. So uh, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you can actually access the show how most people do, which is through the podcast um, on iTunes, which has... Uh, last week, over 335,000 of you came in and got at least one episode uh, in and, and, and took a listen. And we also have our uh, iHeartRadio uh, syndicated feed, so you can look us up on iHeart if you'd like uh, to use that platform instead. So big thank you to everyone who's out there following us, uh, talking about the show, interacting with us. Um, and speaking of interaction... You can uh, actually send a question uh, to us right now on Twitter. Pop in that question, add the hashtag Talent Talk. If you have room to put at, at PeopleG2, that's great as well. My producer, Mike, will be diligently looking for those as he's live uh, tweeting uh, this show and every show every week that we do this. And uh, But he can try to feed me in anything good that, that pops in. So my guests today include Josh Levine. He's a culture strategist and partner with uh, Great Monday. And then uh, Lori uh, uh, Kleiman, she's a speaker, author, and consultant uh, with HR Topics. So Lori will join me at the second half of the show after our commercial break. But let's go ahead. All the business is done and all the me beginning part of me yapping my mouth is done. Now let's go ahead and get to our first guest. Uh, Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're currently doing. Get us caught up with uh, who you are and uh, what you do. Sure. So, like I said, my name is Josh Levine. Um, I am a uh, I'm a culture guy. I'm passionate about company culture. Um, sort of been a long, winding road. Uh, I have a um, most of my career has been in brand strategy, but uh, I realized about ten years ago that to really make an, a a real lasting effect in uh, a company's brand, it really had to do with the people on the inside, and that was sort of spun me off on my journey into culture and so today i write i teach and, and give a lot of talks around company culture it's what it what it's what it requires to you know what what, it, what it's required to design a powerful company culture so i have a 
I have a consulting agency called Great Monday. We work with the technology and social enterprise, but I also have a, um, a national nonprofit for culture builders called Culture Lab X. And uh, that's really where we, we bring people together who are passionate about this and um, really try to make our case for the power of company culture as a strategic advantage in business. Well, so it sounds like you and I have uh, spiced some similar passions around culture. But, you know, it's maybe before we kind of dive completely into that, you, you mentioned being a brand strategist first, which is uh, may not necessarily be what people think about, but from where I'm sitting is kind of a natural uh, maybe entry point into this idea of culture and, and <clears throat> kind of focusing on those things and, and turning them into benefits for the client, for your company, for your you know your bottom line. Maybe what are some of your ideas around kind of enhancing that company brand so that it really does engage customers and, and empower employees? Yeah, so I think this is a this is a good question, and, and you're right. Um, some people are kind of scratch their head a bit, but uh, more and more people are understanding that the you know brand and culture are really two sides of the same coin, and it's all about getting your story straight. And so, helping people, your communities, let's call it, understand why you're in business. And and for me. The reason why I say community is because ultimately I believe that's kind of where the the sort of the larger frame of business is, right? So a community, if you want to communicate your story to the external world, to your external community, um, you can call that brand. If you want to uh, communicate that story internally, um, let's call that let's call that culture, right? So you're inspiring behaviors uh, of these people inside and out, and. Um, the 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 larger the, the larger idea here is to have the story that I mentioned this this be really inspirational um, be about something that matters and if if you can get there then you can then then both your communities internally and externally will do everything they can to help you achieve that goal and that's really the kind of the center point or the the starting point for thinking about how to create a strong culture of people who care about what you what you do, recruiting those people and retaining them, and creating a strong brand on the outside, standing for something that people care about, and so that they can help you do that. You know, a lot of people that haven't worked for maybe a company that has a strong culture or something, um, you know, that, that kind of makes a lot more sense. Um, they really uh, the way I kind of see good culture working is that you don't doesn't mean that you don't have those difficult times you don't have those it doesn't mean you don't have a difficult job but you don't have to do something that you hate or that something that you know really put in the extra time and work kind of the way I have always seen is it means that you understand why that's important to get those things done and maybe ultimately long term down the road there are some things will move better, things will be better, and you won't have to do maybe quite as many of the bad things as you would in a company with bad culture. But would you sort of agree that that is sort of, uh, you know, employees really understanding why the work that they're doing is important makes such a huge difference into that in the kind of long-term strategy for companies? Yeah, uh, 100%. The, the, it's really the reason that you get up in the morning, right? If you understand why you're coming to work, then I would argue that you need to, as an individual, understand what your purpose is. What are you trying to do? Uh, and find an organization, find a role within a business that helps you achieve that goal as well. So to me, it's it's really understanding 
that that's your own story and the story of the work that you do that energizes that should energize you right it provides that motivation to do the things that may on its surface be sort of mm, tactical in the weeds something that's hard you know but but we all know if we have some sort of goal or motivation it's uh, it's a lot easier to, to to get up in the morning it's not easy but it's easier it's easier so, right <laughs> you, right 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 that's that's i, I don't i want to be clear I mean, that that's that's the that's the thing i mean it's not <clears throat> to do something worthwhile is to really invest uh, your your heart and soul and your your energy into it but at the end of the day it feels good to do those things to achieve those things if you're doing it for a larger purpose especially if you like you said a larger purpose um, the company at large is maybe recognizing you for your efforts is sharing with you how the outcomes are impacting clients or the community at large um, when you when you then that's sort of that in that branding and that marketing well, that comes in internally that people often think kind of ignore that to let people know what you know you did this and ultimately that caused this to happen in the end maybe you were one part in that giant cog or maybe you were the main you know driver of that whatever it may be um, it seems to make a huge difference and it's something that is easy to do relatively inexpensive or even free um, that companies sort of seem to kind of ignore or don't know how to do um, mm-hmm. on, on a regular okay. basis that's right. That's right. Thinking the thinking is free. It's just it's it's again. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not yeah. easy to. I mean, I'm all for you know. Th- this is when we work with clients or when we get asked to to help organizations. And again, could be a brand thing or it could be a culture thing. It's really helping them to find that story. And often, it's not that they don't know it. It's just that they can't figure that out for themselves or get clarity around it. So it's a, it is a difficult thing to understand and it's hard from the inside, but it's not, it's not impossible. Plenty, plenty of folks have done it. Um, and there's a lot of books out there, you know, to, to help organizations, uh, you know, to find their purpose and, um, understand, you know, how to, how to start communicating that. Right. Well, I noticed that you wrote an article about how annual surveys are insufficient, and my listeners probably remember me a few times saying how much I hate annual surveys, and we've mm-hmm. talked to a lot of different guests about different strategies and ways that they've approached it, and talked a little bit about some of the ways my company approaches it, but love to get your take on this, on what survey options there are you really think that can be used, or tools that can be used to really help grow culture you know, effectively. Well, the the reason, I, I, yes, absolutely. Um, the annual survey, even even a survey that's twice twice a year, is is insufficient. And the reason is probably a few things, right? It's outmoded in that it is if it's once or even twice a year, it's a very long survey. It, it try to kill, you're trying to collect all the information at once, and so you can bug people to do it, but your complete rates, you know, may not be up there. Even if they are, it takes a while for the team who are, you know, collecting the data to sort of turn that around and then implement that. And, but you know, by the time you do that, the market is moving so fast, especially um, out here. I'm in, I'm in the Bay Area, especially out in Silicon Valley. It's just things are moving so fast that if you have an, uh, an employee who's unhappy, uh, well, by the time you get that turned around and figure that out, it, they've already moved on, right? Like something's already happened. And so to me, it's, it's all about the frequency um, and collecting. It's about creating a low-friction device to collect the data more frequently. 
Uh, and that to me is, and, and it's up to the organization and their each, each company's culture to figure out what, how frequently. Once a quarter, maybe. Once a month, maybe, right? Those are kind of the, the, the kind of timeframes I've started to see. Um, the challenge is that people get survey fatigue. So how do you actually design a survey that is within the workflow that's uh, or design a, a data collection device. Let's not even call it a survey because that's an, maybe an, even an old idea. How do you how do you understand what is happening? Um, how do you measure what's happening inside the organization? Right? How do you know when the fuel tank is is full or empty? How do you know how engaged people are? Um, and I think those are the you know those are the questions you need to be understanding that uh, you know much more frequently than once a year. And so. You know the the terminology is really like a pulse survey. And there's a lot of different um, folks that are trying to crack this. I don't think anybody's really done it yet. It's kind of the wild west. There are definitely some some companies that are offering some of these tools. I uh, work closely with um, some of the folks at Culture Amp that are making a lot of noise in the market. Um, Round Peg Peg is with two Gs. They're, they're also a kind of culture survey group. Um, I also like there's another one um, that a, a small development agency in uh, Texas has put together called uh, Protein, so getprotein.io. I think that's really interesting because they've integrated this this uh, kind of recognition and sort of uh, um, uh, culture sort of uh, data collection or visit, visualization into uh, some of the apps, some of the office communication apps like Slack, um, I think those are the types of things that you can really start to think of. Think, how do you get this data frequently? You know, not looking to get all of the data, but get some of the data around what it is. I mean, what we really need, what we really need is like a, a, a Fitbit for your employees, right? Like that's so it's collecting the data without the employees uh, having to do anything. And and I and I don't know what that looks like. It, it's just what are the you know, for me, when I'm thinking about these things, I'm thinking, okay, what are the what are the measurable or maybe even viewable or visible component, uh, like, like the symptoms of an engaged employee, right? Like, what does that look like? And that way, you can, you know, it's the job of the the folks or the team who are looking for that to to collect that data, right? So it's kind of a crude instrument to say, how are you feeling? How engaged are you, right? I have to answer that question, and then my answer is probably skewed a bit, right? So how do we start to do that? I think no one's really figured that out yet, but I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what's happening and, and kind of have a, a perspective around what we're trying to achieve. And, uh, you know, I really I do hope in the next, uh, I believe in the next five years, we'll be starting to see something really, the market start to coalesce around kind of a methodology around how to measure the engagement of an employee and then be able to correct course as it were quickly well, it'd be interesting if you could have some different variables or things like you said if they were sort of being collected without the employee having to do uh, any of that work and, and for, for larger organizations or mid to large term larger certainly makes sense some of these you know different um apps and programs and things that you've mentioned because it can be daunting for a firm with a lot of employees to try to collect data, synthesize that data, figure out how to, you know, move it down into the different departments and teams and how do you make changes. 
you know, for, for organizations like my, my own, we have found a lot of success, and we kind of took this from someone else who was on the show. We do one question once a week, and mm-hmm. yep. that works really well for us because it's a very micro thing. We can ask questions that are more topical to what's happening in the company. I can take a pulse of what's happening with them, and I can also interpret and look at the re- look at how they're answering as a more subjective way to kind of gauge um you know where they're at as well, um, yes. or if they even respond. Uh, I, you know, if ten yeah, percent respond yeah. when I usually get an eighty percent response rate, we got a problem. So those are different things in that, but those are a little bit softer, not quite as metricy as maybe some of the other solutions you've, you've mentioned. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. I, I think that there's a couple things. So for a smaller organization, um, I think it, you don't need necessarily an app. You just need someone who's observant and can go out and understand what kind of, you know, what's happening in the organization. I think the the challenge with sort of those questions, I think the, the, bend, the upside is that you can ask, you can really be on top of, like, what did you think of uh, the new product launch or, you know, what's happening, you know, what was the, what was the most important thing that happened this week? What you don't get is sort of a, a rigorous uh, data collection. So I feel like it's a, it's a combination of a couple things. I love the one question a week. Um, or one question at a time, right? So I know I can do that. If you can uh, send out a text, that way people can just go one through five. We dabbled in this a bit. So I worked with a colleague um, of mine on um, creating a, uh, it's just a program to kind of understand where companies were and, and what the what the what the field was like and what are the challenges. And we with the same methodology, we had one question, but we cycled through a series of over the course of a quarter, we'll ask um, 10 different questions that sort of line up with a, with a framework that we have, five Ps of company culture. So there's sort of an interesting kind of framework or our ideas around that, which we can maybe another show we can talk about that. But um, what we found, and this was, I think, built on what you were saying, is the most useful information were the open-ended questions um, where we would say, you know, tell us one through five, um, you know, how – you know, how supportive is your manager of you in your sort of your career path, right? And if you get anything, you know, if you get like a one, two, or three, you can say, that's terrible. I'm so sorry to hear that. Why? And you have a very focused, open-ended question. And now mm-hmm. you get a, you know, it's, it's just as any survey metrics. There's, you don't get a lot of responses, but the responses that we got were so insightful. So instead of, it's kind of a halfway point between just, one data point of one question and an open suggestion box. So you have this sort of generally focused question and that people who can then tell us why it's working, even if you have a five and give the open-ended, or why it's not working. And that is really surprisingly for us the most useful piece of the data. We do have trends. We collect the, you know, the numbers. We kind of know what that looks like. But to be able to understand the story behind the data, the qualitative behind the quantitative is really where, and this is, look, I'm a brand guy, so I'm, of course I'm going to say it's, it's all about the story, but right. that was to me the really, the really interesting piece. So don't get caught up in the trying to get the data for the data's sake. Yes, data is important, but it's the story that's going to give you the, 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 the understanding as to what to do with that data. Well, and it's uh, really, really important stuff, and I notice a lot of it kind of helps you measure, which in my mind is one of the important things that great cultures do is they do know how to measure, um, mm-hmm. whether that's externally or internally or both. But they have some 
some bit of that going on. Are, are there other areas that you, you know, if you're talking to, maybe you're sitting down on the airplane next to someone who has a company and they ask you, you know, what what, what should I be doing to really help employee morale? I mean, what from a 30,000-foot level, are, are there specific things that you would kind of reply with that people should be thinking about doing? Yeah, uh, yeah. Morale is a is a really interesting one. Um, morale kind of captures that, like, how are people feeling, right? So, how do you make them feel better about what they're doing? So, okay, purpose. We've talked about that. There is, I think, the understanding what is expected of or, uh, of folks. Like, what is a what are the expectations around what kind of decisions I sh- I should be making? How should I be doing my job? So, you know, we know from sort of behavior science that if it's if you don't have a set of expectations, I don't know exactly how to, you know, as humans, we want to kind of please, we want to do a good job, so we need to set those expectations. So how is that different from sort of a traditional management point of view? I would suggest that, you know, in, in the first important part of developing a powerful culture is defining that culture so purpose we've already talked about that values is the second piece so purpose purpose is kind of the north star values are your guideposts um and when you have those described and you you kind of can draw a line right a kind of a a trajectory and say this is what it means to be you know culturally aligned with our organization and then you have your expectations, and then people know what they can be shooting for, right? And, and then you can have a productive conversation. And I think folks will be feeling more supported. Now, the, the, the sort of the completion of that thought is how do you coach, encourage, um, correct course for those things, right, for those behaviors that you're looking for? Like what does it mean to be um, – open and honest inside of our company? What does it mean to be collaborative? What does it mean to be innovative? Um, and I would suggest that, you know, folks do like to be rewarded and recognized, and I think that's really important. Those are things that happen all the time, but what doesn't happen is um, inside of organizations is that they're not rewarding and recognizing based on those values, and that's to me, is a big. there's a big gap. And so what happens is, and why I think morale is down, let's Let's say, yeah, you know, if a company isn't doing well, morale is down because that's like, well, I don't, I don't have that feedback of we're trying to do something, I'm working really hard, and the results aren't there. So that's certainly one thing. But if I'm not given rules to play by, cultural rules to play by, and we don't understand how that's doing, how that's going, um, and I don't, I don't get feedback on how I'm doing in a, a, a comprehensive way, in a consistent way. Well, that's going to be really hard for me to try to figure out what I'm doing. So if you are able to establish those norms and say, look, this is our purpose, these are our values, and you're going to be recognized for that, we're going to you know, identify the people who are really thinking about what those values are, are and, and, and bringing them to life, and sure. we're going to, you know, both from a sort of managerial point, from a peer-to-peer point, we're going to really make values are important, and we're going to tell you what that means, and we're going to, you know, describe... You know, hey, great job, Susan. Thanks so much on this project. You were really um, collaborative and in this particular way. And so once you are able to connect those things together and it becomes visible to people, like this is what we're – these are the rules we're playing with. 
Um, this is what we would like, you know, how we'd like you to be thinking about, you know, what it means to work inside this organization. Um, then I think you can get people to be more trustworthy, trusting of this organization, more trusting of the organization that they're there to support you, that you understand what the, what the you know, what's fair, what are the rules of engagement. Right. And that, and that, that really is not, kind of the beginning. Right. That's the, you know, got to get them on that first wavelength, I think, to really get them to go any farther with you or to go any deeper. Um, and those are all kind of fantastic things that you brought up. We, we're, we're literally almost t- out of time here. I want to make sure we have a, an opportunity to ask you our last two questions real quick. Um, and the first one is, is, are you, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, again, I teach, so one of the things I teach is brand strategy. I, I'm starting the fall semester now, and I assign um, a book called The Brand Flip by my former boss and mentor, Marty Newmeyer. I think it's a really great book for just getting folks into understanding what brand and the power of brand is all about, and that can then sort of lead you into the understanding, deeper understanding of culture. Sounds like a great book, and don't forget, we will, everyone, we will uh, post that on our blog recap on peopled2.com, and we'll have that listed there. Uh, and final question is, is how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you, your company, or would like to have you come in and help them? Yeah, absolutely. They can uh, find me on Twitter at aka Josh Levine. You can also uh, check check my uh, check out my website, greatmonday.co, or Join up at Culture Lab. CultureLabX.com is uh, a community of folks like you who are interested in helping to advance the concept of company culture in business. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you being on the show. We barely scratched the surface, so we'll need to have you come I back know. at some point and give us, uh, give us some oh, more. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break with our second guest, uh, Lori Kleiman. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. 
Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget, you can tweet us a question for my second guest here. Uh, put in that question. Use the hashtag Talent Talk. If you've got room to put app people G2, that's great. And uh, my uh, producer, Mike, will uh, try to feed him in there, and we'll keep the conversation going online. But let's go ahead and get to my uh, second guest, uh, Lori Kleiman, speaker, author, and consultant with HR Topics. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. I appreciate you having me. Well, it's our pleasure. Um, and maybe you can give everyone, let's just start off with uh, the, the history, the, the, the synopsis here of uh, who you are and what you do and uh, anything else you think it's important for us to know. Sure. Well, what's really fun about my history is that I've done a little bit of everything. I was in a family business for a period of time, and then I left to start my own HR consulting company, which I ran out of the bottom of my house. And eventually, that got purchased by Arthur J. Gallagher, one of the large insurance corporations that's publicly traded. And I worked with them in a corporate role for about seven years. And then three years ago, I left to go out on my own and resume my entrepreneurial world, doing more in the speaking and facilitating world of human resources. So I've done a little bit of everything, entrepreneur, family business, large corporation, all sorts of different things. Well, it sounds uh, like you've got a great background, and hopefully uh, we can learn uh, some great things from you here today. Um, I know you have a lot of uh, you know years of experience and knowledge with within the HR space. So, maybe what are some of the subjects that you are most passionate about that you really prefer to coach and teach on? I have two that I really get excited about, and they're really for two different audiences. When I work with HR people, I really focus on how they can take their careers to the next level. I believe that HR should be a part of that leadership table and the decision-making of all organizations, and many HR people don't see the opportunity in the way that they can go forward and do that. So that is my passion around working with HR people. I also spend a good amount of my time working with small business owners, people that don't know a lot about HR and don't have their own HR person in their organization. So I try to bring HR down to the small organization in a way that's manageable. I help them understand what they need to be doing and how to be more strategic in their HR function. So those are really the ideas that I like most when I go out and work with people on a lot of different levels. And, and people may have, uh, you know, known you or have, have a chance to kind of come across, uh, I know you did a book that was uh, you authored um, called Fire HR Now, Working with HR to Shape Up or Ship Out. So maybe, you know, in it you kind of explore the ins and outs of HR and what they can bring. Um, what do you feel the role of HR needs to be in a world of business that we're currently a part of? You, you kind of started to allude a little bit of that in your intro. Maybe you can go a little bit deeper on where you really think HR should be, you know, in today's business world. Yeah, I think it's really important that HR are business people. HR professionals need to go way beyond the employee experience. They need to be aligned with the leadership of the business, 
understanding what it is that drives the business forward. So the reason I wrote that book, it was actually the first book I wrote, and it's sort of funny because the title obviously scares away a lot of HR people. Um, But the idea was that I was so tired of hearing from corporate leaders and executives that HR didn't provide any value, that HR didn't do anything for their leadership team. And my attitude was, if that's your opinion of your HR person, then fire that HR person. Most of the tactical functions of human resources can be done by entry-level employees or computers these days. And the idea of the book is that it's written half to CEOs and half to HR people saying, if this is the situation and this is how your HR person is acting, here's either how you fix it or get rid of that HR person. And the same to the HR people, I send a message that says, here's what your CEO should be involving you in. And if they're not, maybe it's time to talk about whether or not you're at the right organization. So that's really the idea of the book, is to get both sides talking together about how to make human resources a really productive part of the organizational conversation today. Well, and and that's some great advice. Uh, really, the in HR, if you have the skills and um, sort of knowledge, you you know you really should be kind of pushing to be in that strategic conversation as opposed to the tactical, which is kind of what we we, we framed it here before. Um, to really. Um, you know, as opposed to just doing those simple items that maybe HR thinks about, you know, how can you, uh, as you said, be a part of that larger conversation? So it's great things to think about, and I'm hopefully in the book people can find some kind of deeper uh, thoughts and conversations around that. Um, I know another area that I noticed uh, in your background you had done, I think, as an article on managing work, was it, you know, making work from homework, I think was the title of the of the article right. and my company happens to be virtual so this is something that we do and we love to do we love uh, our our virtual model but maybe you could talk about from your perspective how you know virtual employees um, can fit into organization and, and do their best work from home and, and find that good balance and what are, what are some of the kind of the, the things that you, you you see as a positive about uh, a virtual organization or virtual departments well, I think one of the the really big positives that not enough businesses embrace today is the ability to find the absolute best talent and best fit for any particular job. If we're not allowing some sort of a flexible work environment, then we're pretty much stuck with employees in our own geographic area. So one of the biggest advantages of embracing work from home, and maybe you found that with your own team, is that to find the right people to do the work, they may not be where you are today. So that's, you know, what I think is probably one of the biggest advantages of the work from home in terms of adding to the professionalism and the actual competencies that your business has to offer going forward. Now, for the employee... It's great as long as the employee is able to turn off at the same time as turning on. Sometimes we do hear of work-from-home employees who feel like they can never stop working. So you want to make sure that your employee has a dedicated workspace, that they're able to kind of close the door at the end of the day and know that work is over if that's what they want. 
At the same time, it provides many people, depending on their actual role, the ability to work at a time that may work for their family. So you hear about a lot of working moms that will wake up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning before their children are awake, do an hour and a half of work, then be able to get their kids off to school and come back and return to the quote-unquote office. So, you know, it depends a little bit on what the job is. I actually have a slide in one of my keynote presentations of somebody sitting on a beach in Florida looking out at the ocean with a laptop on her lap. And I say to people all the time, that's how I work, you know, much of my day, just like you say. And these days, there's just no reason for us to be tied to an office if we have work that we can do in a variety of locations. Yeah, and as you kind of brought up a couple of different times, it really does depend on the role, depends on the company. There are certainly situations where collaborative work may need to happen in an office or together on a regular basis, but for you know, really for most jobs, it doesn't. It, it always feels like the resistance is sort of this command and control or this idea that they mm-hmm. have to be seeing the person in order to know that they're working. You know, the, the shuffling of papers and a stapler going off every once in a while means they must be being productive. And that, that, that's sometimes really hard for people to un, kind of undo that thought process and, and maybe look at something a bit better, like are you, you know, properly measuring that person? You know, do you have measurements? Do you have things in place to evaluate that person and their work that has nothing to do with whether or not you see them doing work? Exactly. Um, and it yeah. really is about performance management and paying for performance. You know, really getting a mindset around we're paying people to do a job. We're not necessarily paying for them to work the stapler however many hours in a day. So, um, you know, if the job's getting done, then what's really the issue is what I often ask people. Mm -hmm. Now, I do, I will tell you that I have seen real issues in collaboration in organizations that sometimes overuse the work-from-home model, and it's very hard to get employees to connect on a variety of topics. And that's something the leader really does have to manage. I mean, I like to encourage teams that are more virtual to have something like a Skype meeting, a Zoom meeting. There are lots of different platforms out there, but really be able to see each other and connect with each other on a very personal level because at the end of the day, that does still keep them connected to your processes, your goals and measures, and make sure that they're really part of the team. Sometimes it's hard to accomplish that when we're doing everything through digital databases. Yeah, and that, that's a fantastic one, and we actually use that internally on our at our company. We have a it's one of our goals to have one video Skype meeting every day. Um, Perfect. Yeah. You know, and there are days when maybe you don't want to be seen, and that's okay. Right. So we're not we're not like you know with a whip making sure everyone's doing that, but it's just sort of a goal. It's something we'd like to be able to do that. Yeah, that face-to-face, you look in someone else's eyes, you can laugh with them, whatever it may be. It makes a huge difference to not help people not feel so lonely in their work or sort of, you know, trapped in a little hole in their at their house, wherever they're, you know, have their home office. Um, it does seem to kind of add a whole other, you know, that, that people uh, level 
that you get in an office while at the same time protecting against all of the inefficiencies of being in an office, all of the water cooler and all of the, you know, yickety yacking and meetings that don't need to happen and that a lot of companies don't realize are just killing their productivity. Right. And to that point, I mean, I have managers, executives who will often say to me, well, how do I know they're working eight hours a day? And I look at them and I laugh and I say, they don't work eight hours a day when they're in your office. Who are you kidding? You know, yeah. <laughs> people don't. You know, I think if you get five and a half or six hours from an employee of true, productive, valuable work, that's a full day. You know, they're spending time visiting with their colleagues. They're going, as you said, to meetings that they don't really need to be at, all sorts of other things. So that really shouldn't be the primary focus in business any longer. Yeah. So I know, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of find out from you, you know, are your programs really designed to provide, you know, those critical HR updates to small business or are you focused, you know, in a broader section than that? What I primarily do is, Because I love, I'm passionate about small business people. That I truly am. But most of my programs translate very well to emerging leaders and middle management in larger corporations. So I would typically work, I'm not typically working with people that consider themselves the C-suite, maybe. But I'm working with either their HR professionals or the people in their organization that need to embrace a lot of these ideas and take them to the next level and think about how they may want to run their department, their management, um, that sort of thing. The C people I'm talking to are generally C-suite people in organizations, maybe less than 500 employees. And so when you are then kind of coming into some of these companies, uh, what is it that they're afraid of? What are the sort of objections or fears or things that you hear on a consistent basis, you know, from companies that are finally ready to maybe formalize the process or start doing something a bit more strategic with their HR? The biggest question and the biggest reason many of them feel they do want to move to that next level of strategic HR is because many of them just don't know what they don't know. Um, At the very beginning of my conversations with business leaders, it usually starts with, what do I even need to know? about, you know, how do I know if I'm doing this right or not doing this right? And one of the tools I've provided on my website, anybody who wants to go there is welcome to download a copy of it. I have an HR assessment that is free to anybody who just puts their email address in. They can give my blog a try and unsubscribe if they want, but they will get the free HR assessment, which is what I hear all the time. Business leaders want to know, what am I even supposed to know about human resources? Um, So that's their biggest and their biggest objection, which was one of your questions as well, is they're really afraid that an HR person is going to come in and start making them do all these programs and processes that they don't have the budget to do and they may not be interested in doing. And that's all about really interviewing and hiring for the right HR person to make sure that you have somebody who's aligned and understands with your business and business model and can initiate programs that help your organization do what you're trying to do. Well, and those did certainly makes a lot of sense what you're saying and hopefully people are kind of hearing some of this and understanding that they can have those conversations and 
probably a, f- a lot better off if they have that person in their organization to help them with the strategic things from the protection and then even the tactical things and that you know does it doesn't mean you have to bring in someone who's gonna quadruple your workload and, and turn mm-hmm. your organization to a giant you know bureaucratic mess that that's not necessarily what what uh, you know hr uh people are trying to do so having those conversations bringing the right person in is, is great advice and coming up with what you, what is it you really want that uh, person to achieve and to focus on are are big components and you imagine that from company to company what hr is doing and focusing on is probably you know gigantically different um and not really what that maybe stereotypical thing is that most people who don't have that presence yet are are kind of thinking of would you agree with that absolutely absolutely it's about setting expectations setting guidelines all those kinds of things and i encourage smaller businesses to really think about a part-time hr professional there are tons of people out there that, you know, are really interested in part-time HR roles. So if you just want to try it a little bit, that can also be a great way to experience what bringing in your first HR person would be like. Absolutely. Well, uh, one of our favorite questions to ask uh, our, uh, our guests, and I'm going to ask you now, so we're, we're hoping for a fabulous answer, and that is, what book are you reading right now, and can you tell us about it? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm doing a lot of research right now on the whole leadership in the VUCA economy that we seem to be in, the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And so one of the things that I glommed onto that I really like is some work by Dr. Gail Moore, who has a really interesting perspective, this tree of how leaders should um, try to get their hands around this ever-changing world that we live in. Um, and along with that, a book by John Maxwell called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. I think questions is so important. Um, one of my dear friends actually wrote a book on questions called Discover Questions by Deb Calvert. Those are some of my really um, go-to materials because I think it's so important that we ask the right questions and then be quiet and listen. Um, so many people want to talk first, and here I am, a professional speaker, so I guess I do talk a lot, but I try to listen as well, and maybe that's why these two books on asking the right kind of questions really is um, something that I'm really believing in these days. So those are probably my top three that I'm working on right now. Well, that sounds great. and. Um, as a reminder, we'll, we'll kind of list all that stuff out on our blog for everyone on peopledo2.com. We'll have a complete uh, um, list there for everyone about any of the books or things kind of mentioned by our by our guest today. You know, uh, Lori, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in, in learning more about your services? Well, I'm always looking to talk to people and would be happy to have people get in touch with me. As I mentioned with that assessment, I realized I better tell you the website. Yeah. So the, the website is www.hrtopics, all one word, dot com. And if people go out there, there's... Um, They can download the assessment for free. They can see some videos of my content. I actually also have a YouTube channel where I put out short three- to five-minute videos about recruiting or performance management or different 
little HR things out there. But primarily the website, it's got some samples of my speaking, some ideas of the different programs I do at associations and conferences. And certainly there's a contact me section there if they'd like to talk. I would love to engage with any and all of your viewers. Listeners, I should say. Yeah, the listeners, yeah. Well, I uh, really appreciate you being on the show today, Lori. We got to, to hit a lot of good topics, and I'm sure there's uh, even more for next time. We can love to have you come back at some point and uh, continue the conversation. Great. Well, I enjoyed working with your virtual team and getting to know you and would love to stay engaged in the future. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully you've gained something that will help you in your own career. Uh, next week I'm going to be traveling quite a bit, so we decided to de-stress my life and just take next week off. So we will have a best of show that we'll be playing. Um, but if you're listening on the podcast or iHeart, you can just hop to the next one. But uh, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2.